Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. From Vermont Public, welcome to a very special episode of Brave Little State. I'm Josh Crane. Here on the show, we answer your questions about Vermont. And today, we share the sixth annual installment of one of our favorite traditions. It's the one where we travel all around the state and flock to local historical societies and municipal offices with your help. Yeah, maybe we can both go to the town clerk even. Yeah. Let's do it. Oh, let's do it. Yeah. To try to get to the bottom of Vermont's most curious, perplexing, and downright strange road names. Anyone I tell my address to, they say, oh, why Tigertown? And I say, I don't know. Hmm, what's going on up on Hateful Hill Road? And then I saw this listing that said Gert's Knob Road, and I thought, oh, come on, that's hysterical. Our journeys to get to the bottom of these road names are filled with mystery. Like that's what we always thought it was, like that's the legend, I guess. Imagination. I dream about it a lot, and it changes in my dream all the time. And in the best case scenario, moments of revelation. Jackpot! We're a proud member of the NPR Network. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. Our first foray into Vermont road names was way back in the summer of 2018. In podcast years, that basically means it's a tradition as old as time itself. Brave Little State's creator, Angela Evansy, and some of her colleagues tackled roads such as State's Prison Hollow, Lime Kiln, and Kelly's Stand. The following year, roads like High Low Biddy, Sawney Bean, and Star Pudding Farm took center stage. And on and on it went, Popple Dungeon, Cowpath 40, Iranistan Road. It turns out Vermont is a hotbed for road name creativity. To get to the bottom of the first road name in this year's edition, I head to the westernmost edge of Norwich in the Upper Valley. Hi, Claudia. Claudia. I'm so sorry I'm late. That's all right. If you get lost here, there's no cell service. Claudia Marib's house is pretty remote, even by local standards. I got lost on my way to visit her, and I live on the other side of the same town. That's how you do it. Hi, did you get lost? (laughs) That's like how we welcome people in our neighborhood. This neck of the woods goes by different names. West Norwich, also known as Beaver Meadow. But if you go by the name of Claudia's Road, this area is Tigertown. You're talking to me because I wrote you and said, what is the story behind this road I live on, Tigertown Road? And I've been asking neighbors for four years, and no one knows. 
Why? Why in Vermont would you have a road named Tigertown Road? As far as Vermont roads go, Tigertown is mostly unremarkable. It's made of dirt. And in true Vermont fashion, it's about one and a half lanes wide. And when you meet someone on it, sometimes there's this little negotiation where one of us pull over and the other one goes and somehow there's a silent telepathic communication about how that's going to work. And it works well. Everything about the road screams Vermont, except for the name. And Claudia isn't the only one waiting on Brave Little State to find an answer. Yeah, I have to say, I told some neighbors about it, and they all, in an email, we have this little email list, and so many people wrote back saying, I've always thought that would be great for the Road Name Show. Thank you for posting it. Like, there's going to be a big fan following from our little rural part of Vermont for this name. That makes me so happy to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Why on earth is it called Tiger Town Road? We have no idea. We hope you can help us. No pressure. At least she gives me a good place to start. But also, we shouldn't forget, like, there's the West Hartford end. So was it named Tigertown for this end of the road or that end of the road? Tigertown Road runs from West Norwich all the way across the town line to West Hartford. It ends in a junction with Route 14 along the White River. And pretty close to that junction is the Hartford Historical Society. My next stop. Hi. I'm, I'm Josh. I'm from Vermont Public. I link up with Pat Stark, who shows me around. I'm the volunteer, curator, acting director, I don't know, whatever. Pat brings me to a small room on the second floor. Um, where are we right now? We are in our research workroom. Okay, <laughs> see a lot of file cabinets. <laughs> Have a seat. I'm going to see if there's anything in Unfortunately, she learns that her filing system has been updated recently. Well, I filed for the first few years, and I have a volunteer filing now, and, you know, everybody that files thinks differently. Yes. So we don't know. But Pat does pass along an important piece of information. That Tigertown Road might not be the only Tigertown Road. Yes. My recollection of whatever was produced about it before was that there are Tigertown Roads in other places. In Vermont or just in general? I don't remember. Okay. I don't keep a lot in my head. (laughs) So you have all these files. (laughs) I can confirm that Pat's recollection is correct. I didn't find evidence of other tiger towns in Vermont, but I did stumble upon a neighborhood in Holyoke, Massachusetts, that was originally known as Tigertown. That's according to an article in the local paper in 1913, which describes Tigertown as, quote, a portion of South Holyoke that had a reputation of exceeding the city limits for rough-and-tumble fights and rowdyism. And there's also a tiger town in Texas, or there was. It's a ghost town now. But according to the county history, it was named Tiger Town, or maybe Tiger Point, by an Old West gambler because it was, quote, full of men who led fast and furious lives. That gambler was later killed in a shootout with Wild Bill Hickok. So he may have been onto something. So in both Massachusetts and Texas history, Tigertown was a name awarded for rowdiness, recklessness, and violence. Maybe the same was true in Vermont. 
To try and confirm, I call up a guy who Pat from the Historical Society told me about. She said he'd been asking around about Tigertown Road a few years ago. Maybe he found something. Hello? Hi, I'm looking for Art Peel. Art Peel? Well, that's me. Art Peel is a former board member of the Hartford Historical Society. Art has lived next to Tigertown Road for more than 30 years. I'm working on a piece trying to figure out the origin of the name of Tigertown Road. Oh, Tigertown Road? Uh, um, that's a good question. <laughs> Seems as though once upon a time uh, across the river, there was either a skating rink or a dance hall. The, um, it was quite a wild place, and that's why they called it Tigertown. But Art doesn't have any documentation to support this, and he's a little short on specifics. I do very vaguely, back in my mind, remember reading something like that at one time. The tiger is kind of a wild animal, so that would be an appropriate name for something that was a little wild, rowdy (laughs) area. I found the confirmation I was looking for on the Norwich side of Tigertown Road. This question comes up all the time. People ask about Tigertown, and they wonder if it's because there were tigers. Sarah Rooker is the director of the Norwich Historical Society. In fact, someone just asked me today when they heard you were coming, they said, why, are there, were there tigers around here? <laughs> I mean, or were there tigers, or did people have tigers, or was there some parade with tigers, or did something like that happen? And the answer is no. <laughs> but really, the, you know, I've always known for, forever that Tiger Town is associated with kind of a rowdy area. Okay, now this feels promising. Well, so the, the association with kind of a rowdier area of town, mm-hmm. would that fit where Tiger Town Road is? It does fit. Remember how the part of town where our question asker Claudia lives has a couple of different names? There's West Norwich, also known as Beaver Meadow. Here's the story of its other, mostly forgotten nickname, Tiger Town. For a while, up until the mid-1800s, this area thrived as a farming community. But Sarah says that didn't last. In the post-Civil War period, people abandoned their farms and started to move west. I once read um, a letter that someone who had moved out west wrote back and said, you really need to come because this is an area where um, God took a rolling pin to the hills. (laughs) Beaver Meadow started losing its population and the local economy tanked. And it became quite an impoverished backwater area. And also became quite rowdy. There's an account of a drunken brawl in the street and lots of bootlegging. An 1874 article in the Burlington Free Press describes an illicit distiller who is, quote, after all, a resident of Tigertown in Norwich. There were stills and Applejack and homebrew flowing from Beaver Meadow to Hanover and probably to Dartmouth College. (laughs) Sarah hasn't seen a reference for a wild dance hall or skating rink in old newspaper clippings. She does share an article from the Randolph newspaper in 1905. It refers to Beaver Meadow as the, quote, fighting part of Norwich. And that was the reputation, Yeah. yeah. So here's what we've learned. As early as 1874, this part of Norwich was known as Tigertown, a nickname that stems from its rowdiness. 
We also checked our work with the closest thing we have to a road names Bible, Esther Swift's Vermont place names. And she writes that Tigertown is probably a reference to some unruly individuals who used to live there. What's still unclear is when exactly the nickname was adopted as a road name, though we do see the name Tigertown Brook pop up on maps as early as 1906, and that brook runs parallel to Tigertown Road. That part of town is no longer rowdy. If anything, it's downright peaceful and quiet. The name Beaver Meadow definitely fits the vibe these days a lot better than the name Tigertown. And Sarah says this evolution started back in 1915 with the opening of a new community institution, the Beaver Meadow Union Chapel. It was created with a specific goal in mind, to reform the area, to spread God and quote-unquote morality. And in some ways, it worked. All of a sudden, there was something for people to do other than bootlegging and drinking and fighting. They started to hold Sunday school. They started to hold church suppers. They started to have reading nights. That chapel is just a couple miles from Claudia's house, and it's still at the center of the Beaver Meadow community today. It's a community as close-knit as it is isolated from the rest of town. It is kind of its own thing. And I think there are a number, there are people in Norwich who've never been out there because it's quite a drive. Out there, it's, it's steeper valleys. The roads are narrower. It's, it's actually a little darker yeah. <laughs> as, you, as you drive through there. Yeah. You, it really feels like a different, a different world. And the name Tigertown Road is one of the only remaining clues of the way that world used to be. Now we're going to head to the other side of the state, where my colleague Andrea Lorian went on an especially memorable trip to try and figure out the origins of our next road name. Sarah Aubrey lives in Wells, in Rutland County. She's lived there for nearly a decade, but one day last fall, she drove a particular route she's never driven before. Driving east from Wells, we went through East Wallingford. And while passing through East Wallingford, she saw something that caught her eye. And just kind of noticed at the side of the road this little green sign that said, Hateful Hill Road. (laughs) And I thought, hmm, what's going on up on Hateful Hill Road? Hateful Hill Road. It sounds pretty intense. Sarah hasn't returned there since her drive last fall. I mean, I get it. The road doesn't really sound welcoming. But the name has stuck with her, and she's thought a lot about where it might have come from. I I have a couple of theories. Um, Maybe something awful happened up there one time. Maybe there was some sort of mishap with a farm, or I don't know. Sarah was partially correct. We did end up on a farm at one point, but thankfully, no mishaps on this adventure. Early one Saturday morning, I set out with brave little state intern and fellow road trip enthusiast, May Nagusky. We drove to East Wallingford to try to find an answer, or at least some sort of explanation for Sarah's question, and maybe have some fun along the way. And I brought extra batteries. Awesome, me too. Okay, good. I brought four additional. Amazing. And you brought breakfast, breakfast Um, on the road. 
East Wallingford is located in the Otter Creek Valley in south-central Vermont. On our way there, we offered up our own theories about Hateful Hill Road. I think maybe it's such a lovely road that people were just joking around, maybe, when they named it Hateful Hill Road. <laughs> they were like, this would be funny. I love that. We just named this road what it is not. Sweet. We made it. Our first stop is not the road in question. Instead, we visit the Seward family at their farm on nearby Sugar Hill Road. The Sewards have been running a dairy farm in East Wallingford for decades. We heard that if anyone would know the answer, it would be them. Dave and Art Seward are cousins, and they invited us down to visit. What's your dog's name? His name's Bill. Bill. Hi, Bill. Every morning, there's coffee in the Seward's barn after the milking is done, around 8.30 a.m., Inside the big barn, a handful of old office chairs wait for family and friends to sit down and chat. We could see Hateful Hill from the barn door, looming in the distance. You guys been coming up this morning coffee all your life, probably. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys typically talk about? In this oh, like, morning coffee. Haven't you realized how much better off the state is? Now we fix it every day. Oh, every day. <laughs> every day. Sometimes you get in the government, fix that too. <laughs> yeah. Pretty soon, May gets down to business and grills everyone on what they know about Hateful Hill Road. And by the way, that's a milking machine whooshing in the background. What do you think? She asked me a question I can't answer. What how the hell did Hateful Hill get the Hateful Hill name? Well, that's what we've been talking about. Um, yeah. I don't know. The Sewards don't know for sure where the name Hateful Hill comes from. But Dave Seward has an idea. Two ideas, actually. And both connect to the slope of the road, which is very steep. It was a stage road, and the stagecoach hated it because it was such a steep hill that the horses would get tired trying to draw up it. Before there were cars, there were stagecoaches pulled by horses. And what would make it really hard for a horse to pull a stagecoach? Yep, a steep hill. We look into this theory first. And we learn that Hateful Hill Road was on a slightly different part of the hill back in the era of stagecoaches than where it is now. Dave and Art take us up there and show us the old route. Right Right out through there is part of your stage road. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. that. We'll go on the other end of that. That kind of goes out through like the little where this part. clearing is right here. Yeah, yeah. right through there. That was a stage road. Yep. Yeah, it's part of the stage road we're talking about. It looks pretty steep, but was it enough to warrant the name Hateful Hill? One thing is for certain: we definitely did not hate the view. So, could you explain to me where we are for a radio listener? On top of the world. <laughs> <laughs> This brings us to Dave's other theory. We'll call it the shadow theory, and it centers around the impact the hill has had on the surrounding area. Here's Dave again in his family's barn. Okay, so there, that's Hateful Hill right there. Yeah. So on the other side of it is Cuttingsville, which is part of in Shrewsbury. And so they call it Hateful Hill because that will not let the sun shine down into Cuttingsville. Did you catch that? Dave is saying that Hateful Hill is positioned in such a way that at certain times of the day, it casts a shadow on the nearby village of Cuttingsville, which is in Shrewsbury. Because if you drive through Cuttingsville, like the houses that are backed up this mountain, never see the sun even in the summertime. It's like it never shines on their house. 
Never. Never heard of that. No. Because of Hateful Hill? Because of Hateful Hill. So that's why I told you to call it three. I have to say, if a big old hill casts a huge shadow on my house every day, I'd probably hate it too. So we take Dave's suggestion and head over to the other side of Hateful Hill. The Shrewsbury Historical Society doesn't have any useful records to back up the shadow theory. But luckily for us, a handful of locals are right next door for a big headstone cleaning and restoration at a local cemetery. And we meet Elliot and Alyssa Stewart, a young married couple from Cuttingsville. I always, my grandmother grew up in in East Wallingford, and she always was like, it's Hateful Hill because it casts a shadow on Cuttingsville, and that's why no one wants to live over here. Your grandmother (laughs) said that? Yeah. Yeah, That's that's what we always thought it was. Like, that's the legend, I guess, and it's true. It is shadowy over here compared to Wallingford. And Alyssa and Elliot haven't just heard about this legend. They live in the shadow themselves. Well, the sun does go down early. (laughs) It does go down early. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, it is the dark side of the moon a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Not, not in a bad way. We back this theory around with some of the other headstone cleaners, but don't have much luck. Do you guys know of anyone who might know the answer? Probably some of these headstones. If uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go talk with Gramps. He's down on the end. <laughs> he would have known. Did we go home after this? Absolutely not. Did we find a definitive explanation as to the origins of the name Hateful Hill Road? Also, not really. But it was not for lack of trying. May and I floated our theories to shoppers at the Family Dollar and people waiting in line for ice cream. We spoke with locals at a coffee shop, a hair salon, an Italian restaurant, also a gas station, a rotary club, and a retirement home. We took a trip back to Hateful Hill Road to chat with the neighbors. And we ended our day at a community ham dinner at the Masonic Lodge, where Dave Seward was hard at work in the kitchen. And after all that, we ended the day with a lot more of the same information. As far as we can tell, Hateful Hill is quote-unquote hateful due to how steep it is. But whether the hate originated with some tired horses or with the shadow it casts over neighboring Cuttingsville, that is still an open question. And in the meantime, something else came up in our reporting that adds another layer to the mystery. The green road sign, the one that says Hateful Hill Road and caught the eye of our question asker, Sarah Albrey. The sign is gone. Oh my God. The road sign was completely cut off its post, like it's been stolen. Yeah, wow. Somebody wanted the Hateful Hill sign. Wow. Okay. Looks like there's someone out there who's just as interested in Hateful Hill Road as we are Andrea Lorian and May Nagusky. Next, we head to Underhill for our last road name origin story. Oh my God, look at that. That's coming up right after this. Welcome back to Brave Little State. We're making our way through our sixth annual brief history of Vermont road names. And we're coming up on the last story in today's installment. It was reported by my colleague, Joya Putnoy, who takes it from here. In the early 90s, Judy Reno was looking to move to Vermont. She and her family lived in Connecticut at the time. And then I saw this listing that said Gertz Knob Road, and I thought, oh, come on, that's hysterical. We only looked at it because of the street name. This house was not big enough. But we came anyway, just because it was Gertz Knob. So 
The house wasn't perfect, but to Judy, the road name was enough of a sell. She and her husband closed on the house in 1992, and they've lived on Gertz Knob Road ever since. It's a winding dirt road located at the base of Metcalf Hill in Underhill. And for as long as Judy's lived there, she's always wondered about the meaning behind the road name. Hi, my name is Judy Reno, and I live in Underhill on Gertz Knob Road, and I was wondering where that name ever came from. What Judy didn't know was that by submitting this question to Brave Little State, she was cracking open a vault of history that had been sitting dormant for nearly half a century. After we talk on the phone, Judy starts doing my job for me. She gets in touch with her neighbors that share the winding dirt road with a mysterious name, looking for any leads or traces of history to follow. Then she finds something. A Gertz Knob expert who has quite a story to tell. She points me in her direction, which turns out to be about 40 minutes away from Gertz Knob Road in Burlington. And in less than a day, I'm opening the door to this expert's living room. Hi, Hi Joan. It's Joya. Oh, it's Joy. Yes, Joya with an Joya. A and. Oh, lovely. Yeah, lovely. nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thanks for letting come me come over. Do you want me to take my shoes off? No, or? no, no. Well, my first, my first question is, how did you get in touch with Judy? Like, how did that come about? She called me. This is Mita Lowell. She's I'm eighty. Curious if, if Judy told you this that she moved there. Because of the name, I know. It's sort of serendipitous. Mita grew up in Vermont and moved onto Gertz Knob in the late 60s. Today, there's a handful of properties on the road. But back then, hers was the only one. It was a very old farmhouse, a barn, and 41 acres of land. But she says it wasn't technically named Gertz Knob Road back then. There was no road sign. People would in town would ask us, well, where, whereabouts do you live? And I would tell them where we live. And they say, oh, you live on Gertz Knob. And we had no idea that, it, I mean, there was nothing on any piece of paper or anywhere that said that that's what it was. But the hill itself was always called Gertz Knob or Gertie's Knob. Some people called it Gertie's Knob. While living there, she attended Johnson College as an anthropology student. She says her schoolwork inspired her to ask the question, who was Gert? And what was her connection to this road? So she took matters into her own hands, in the form of her mother's huge reel-to-reel tape recorder, and made her way down nearby Route 15 on a mission to learn a story. In other words, Mita was essentially reporting her own road names episode back in the 70s. She interviewed the residents along Route 15. These were her closest neighbors at the time, asking about the name Gertz Knob and collecting the tidbits that people knew. At the homes of the older residents, Mita learned that there had indeed been a Gert, a Gertrude Cullen, who spent her whole life in the very same farmhouse Mita lived in. And they all remembered Gert, so everyone seemed to love her. All the older neighbors had memories to share about Gert, that she would walk the four miles from her farmhouse into town, singing to herself as she made her way down Route 15. She would stop at the neighbors' houses along her journey. And they would tell me stories about when she would come, she'd play the piano, but she couldn't play the piano, she'd just bang away on it. I mean, people said, oh, she was simple, but she was sweet. Mita also learned something tragic, that... One day, on Gert's journey back home from town, she was killed by a milk truck. Mita says that her understanding of Gert was patched together by her neighbor's fragmented recollections, and she does not remember the specific dates of Gert's life. 
but she learned enough to want to name her previously unnamed road after her. Everything that I knew I wrote up and submitted it to the town and they agreed and stuff. So it's nice to know that Gert will be remembered, you know. She says the paper she submitted is lost to time. And sadly, so are the reel-to-reel recordings she made while interviewing her neighbors. One thing that isn't lost to time is, of course, the road name, Gert's Knob. And Mita says it wasn't all that hard to make that name official. Life was so simple. You went to the town clerk and I said, here's Zelda. This is what I found out about Gert's Knob. You can ask the selectmen if they would officially change the name. She said, oh, sure, no problem. Next thing I knew... It was, it was changed. So that explains the girt. Yep. But then the word knob. What is a knob? Well, a knob is, 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 is a knob. It's a, it's a hill that, you know, it's, it's a hill. And it sticks up. If you drive down Route 15, you'll see that it sticks up like that. So it's a knob. So Mita Lowell named the road Gert's Knob in 1976. I just felt a kinship to Gert. I just felt like... This woman needs to be remembered. Mita says that part of her sense of kinship to Gert was that life in the farmhouse on top of the knob was hard. Mita remembers chopping wood with a kid on her back and taking her car battery inside the house in the wintertime to keep it warm enough to start again. Also during Mita's time there, her first husband passed away in an automobile accident. And in 1977, the farmhouse burned down. Mita grew to associate the road with deep pain, and she decided to move away in 1981. I've never gone back. Really? Well, you know, I, I, I'm, I dream about it a lot, and it changes in my dream all the time. But I'm afraid the barn will be dilapidated. and I, I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid I'll lose it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to be going back next week. That's fantastic. And I might I'll try to reach out to the town clerk and see if they'd be available that day to do yeah, more records Yeah, maybe check. we can both go to the town clerk even. Yeah. Let's do it. Oh, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> On a quest to find any more details of Gert's life, Mita and I visit the Underhill Town Clerk's office. Well, we have the person who named the road right okay. here. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. How, how far back do your records go? I mean, I have... Revolution. I, I have <laughs> our deed when we bought the house in 67. We enter a tiny room, walls stacked with land records. We're trying to work backwards from the property deed Mita was given when she bought the so land back in the now, 60s. To backtrack. So you're going to go to this... No mention here. of Gert. 3302, it's not going to matter because yeah. it's an administrative conveyance. Okay. Then we shift gears and start puzzling through the filing cabinet organized with index card death certificates. We hit the C's for Cullen, Gert's last name. Cummings? Then something magical happens. <gasps> Cullen Gertrude! <gasps> Jackpot! Gertrude Cullen's index card, complete with dates, relatives, and place of burial. We learn that Gert was born in Underhill in 1877, the daughter of two Irish immigrants. She died in June of 1936 from a crushed skull, most likely from the milk truck incident that Mita remembered. Oh my God, look at that. Oh my Take a God. picture of this. <laughs> oh my God. 
In this moment, I just stare at Mita as she holds Gert's index card in her hands. She's holding a lot more than an index card. It's the realness of Gert, the weight of these stories. This is the closest thing to a tangible connection between these two women who shared a home decades apart. And now, finally, Mita was ready to return to Gert's Knob Road for the very first time since she left almost 42 years earlier. There's more than one house on Gert's Knob Road these days, including the house of question-asker Judy Reno. Judy's not around when we visit, but some other current Knob dwellers are. They look at some old photos Mita brought from her life on the knob. These are some, oh, these are some old, there's the yeah. barn. There's the barn, and that's how clear it was to see up to the barn. Yeah. Oh, oh this, wow. there's the picture in there the door. Is. is that you? That yeah, photo. that's me. Look at her. Oh. In my younger days. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. There's the there's barn. The current owners of the home that was once Mita's and once Gert's are not there when we visit, but they kindly let us check out their property. And from the moment Mita steps foot on her old land, the memories come back. Our chickens were in this okay. spot here in yeah. a shed. The, the donkey was up here. The pigs were in here. They cleared this out. This was We head up to the barn, which Mita says has been standing since Gert's lifetime. It's in rough shape. We walk through together, Mita absorbing the damage. That, that, this saddens me to see the barn because I always loved, I love barns to begin with and I always too. loved this barn. And I always, if we had the money, we would have A week later, Mita and I reconnect outside the Vermont Public Studios. She brings me a bag of her homemade ginger scones. Thank you so, so much. So nice. <laughs> and that sounds so delicious. Thank you. They're pretty good. We settle in to reflect on the journey. Yeah. It was closure. It was a chapter in my life. And when you get to be my age, that's all you have left are these chapters. And that one needed to be closed. Because um, you hold on to things that hurt. And so this was a, was a good closure for me. It was, yeah, it's, it's been great. It's been a great journey. One of the important moments of closure was finding the index card at the town clerk's office with Gert's name on it. Yeah. What did it feel like to hold that card in your hand and, and know Gert was real, this is all real? Right, there's Gert. There she is. There's, there's her father. There's her brother. There she is, yeah. And I, it was like, hi, Gert. Hello, Gert. You're being remembered again. Well, yeah. I'm just so glad you named this road, and I'm so glad that I've gotten the opportunity I, to, to work on I'm it and so, meet you and I, yeah, learn right. your story. I mean, it's, it's been, been a, amazing. It's been a fabulous journey, uh, fabulous journey. Joya Putnoy. By the way, Joya did reconnect with Judy Reno the original question asker who moved to Gert's Knob Road precisely because of the road name. And she is, of course, thrilled to learn that her road's name has such a rich history. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Claudia Marab, Sarah Aubrey, and Judy Reno for a great batch of unusual Vermont road names. 
If you have a road name you want us to explore or any other question about Vermont, you can let us know at bravelittlestate.org. That's also where you can find all our other brief histories of Vermont road names, or check out the links in our show notes. We're on Instagram and Reddit at BraveStateVT. This episode was reported, produced, edited, and mixed by Andrea Lorian, May Nagusky, Joya Putnoy, Sabine Pooks, and me. Angela Evansy is our executive producer. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Michaela Lefrac, Judy Barwood, Donna Wheeler, Jane and Steve Koya, Sherry Morin, and Caroline Fritz. And our show also gets a lot of help behind the scenes. So a special shout out to our colleague Tedra Meyer for helping to share our episodes on Vermont Public's midday news show, Vermont Edition. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public. If you like our show, you can make a gift at bravelittlestate.org donate. Or just leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. I'm Josh Crane. We'll be back soon with more people-powered Vermont journalism. Until then. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.